Parents, have you ever asked your children to do something? I know you are all the time. Whether it's taking out the trash like this young man is doing, or maybe it's cleaning the room, or maybe it's be nice to your brother or sister. Whatever you tell them to do, how do they respond? Maybe it's the question, why? Why, Mom, do I have to do that? Why, Dad, do I have to do that? And I know, parents, you've also given this answer in response to why. Because I said so. Now, what kind of reaction do you get when you tell your children that? This uh, girl here, I don't know if she is mimicking what her mom looks like when her mom says, because I said so, or this is how she feels when her mom says to her, because I said so. Now, sure, as we parent our children, there are times they just need to obey and don't need to know the reason why. And maybe you could even say that about God, that at times he wants us to obey without asking why. But in reality, as you look at the scripture and everything that God tells us to do, he really does give us a reason why. And we see that in the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. We have been looking there in the first three chapters, and today we come to chapter four. In the first three chapters, Paul was telling us who we are, and he was teaching us doctrine. He was teaching us about God, and now he is going to teach us what to do. Paul didn't tell us first what to do and just say, do it because I said so. He's telling us what to do, and he's answering the question, why? Why should we be obedient to the Lord and what he's going to say in chapters four through six? The answer is because of what he has just said in chapters one through three. And Paul does that often in his letters. He begins by teaching us doctrine and the foundation of our faith. And then because of those foundational truths, he gives us a reason for living a Christian life. And so we're going to learn that today. I love how Paul uses the metaphor of walk when he talks about our Christian life and how to live it. In the chapters four, five, especially, he uses the word five times. In verses, chapter four, verse one, walk worthy. 417, don't walk as Gentiles. Walk in love, walk in light, and walk wisely in chapter five. I love that idea of walking as we think about our Christian life. And I love the idea of walking with God. It reminds me of Adam and Eve and how they walked with God in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine what it was like then uh, before there was sin in the world, before our relationship with God was broken? It is a, a wonderful imagination that comes to mind when we think of that sweet fellowship they had. In Scripture, there are many who were described as people who walked with God. I think of these, for example, Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Zechariah and Elizabeth. In fact, Enoch walked with God and we're told he was no more. I guess God enjoyed walking with him so much he just took him home to heaven and Enoch didn't even die. Abraham, excuse me, Noah walked with God when no one else in the entire world wanted to be close to God. Abraham walked with God and is the father of a nation and is the father of faith and is the one through whom all the nations of the world are blessed. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, you may be scratching your head trying to figure out who they were. 
They were John the Baptist's parents. And the scripture says that they were blameless and they walked with God. These people are examples of those who in their life and how they were in relationship with God, were close to God, obeyed what he said. When I think about a walk, God is wanting to talk with us. Isn't that true when you walk with a friend? When you walk with a friend, there's a conversation. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to talk to us, and he wants us to talk to him. Also, when you walk with a friend, uh, there is fellowship. You get to know each other better. God wants us to be close to him. And of course, there's always a destination. You don't walk in place. You're going somewhere. And God wants to lead us somewhere. And so that's why I love this metaphor of walking with God as a way to describe our Christian life. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 1, this is the first thing we're supposed to do in our Christian walk in this letter. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. The translation that I'm using uses the English word live for that Greek word walk. And so you could read it, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, therefore, everything I've said in chapters 1 through 3, and remember what Paul has said about our calling. Paul said that we have been chosen by the Father, and we have been redeemed by the Son, and we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He told us in chapter 2 that we have been saved by grace through faith, and that God has created works for us to do. He told us how we are one, Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ. And he told us how we are servants and stewards, and even as he was, maybe someday prisoners of Christ and of this gift that we have been given, the gospel to share with others. That's who we are. Paul has told us that. And now he says, because that's who you are, live like it. I like how this graphic says it. Made worthy, walk worthy. That's what Paul is saying. I think about it this way. When you go to the, we have expectations of what certain professionals or certain people, the way they should act, don't we? I mean, when you go to the doctor, if your doctor started telling you jokes when you were asking him about your blood results and asking him about the test that you just had, when you were asking him how you could be healthy and he starts telling you jokes and expecting you to laugh at them and you would say, wait, doc, act like a doctor. And likewise, if you went to hear a stand-up comedian and he started telling you what was wrong with you and he wanted to examine you, you say, hey, dude, get hands off, all right? You're, you're not a doctor. Act like who you are. You're a comedian. And so that's what, what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, this is who you are. You are children of God. So act like it. Do you? I would just ask you that right here. This is a moment to pause and think about your life. When people see your life, would they describe you as a child of God? Would they describe you as someone who looks like, acts like Jesus? Do you 
Or do you just look like anyone else that lives in this community? Are you just like any other American, just like any other secular person, or is there a difference? Are you acting like who you truly are? Paul goes on to tell us how to do this. And you might expect that Paul would then have a a list of things immediately that he wants us to do to show that we are living in light of who we are. But instead, he doesn't talk individually. He talks corporately. And in fact, in a sense, what he says next is that it's our responsibility as a church, as a group of Christians, to make sure that everyone is living in a worthy way. That almost sounds like Paul is saying it's our job to look at other people and tell them what they need to do. And so some of you might be saying, hey, that's great. I would love for that. It's easy for me to see what other people need to do, and I could do that all day long. But that's not exactly what Paul is saying. Let's listen to what he says in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I want you to imagine all of the people that you know who are Christians in your life. Maybe even narrow it down if you want to, to uh, Olive Branch. Maybe narrow it down to your Sunday school class. I, I don't know. Just imagine those people. And I know as you imagine Christians that you know, that you have some that you want to be with all the time. They are encouragers. You have others that when you're with them, honestly, they kind of bring you down. You have others that are immature in their faith, and maybe they annoy you. You have others that are very mature in their faith, and you look up to them. There is a whole wide variety of Christians, not just in how old they are or how long they've been a Christian, but in their personality and their walk with God. And let's be honest. We don't get along with all of them because we are all different. And that's why Paul says it's the responsibility of our church, of us as Christians, to make sure that we are all living the way we're supposed to. But we cannot do that unless we have the right attitude. I want you to look again at the verses. All humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Hear the words again, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. This is the only attitude we can have if we are going to help each other live the life that we're supposed to. I love how Paul puts it, bearing with one another. And honestly, sometimes that's what it comes down to. When I hear that in my mind, it's not getting along with someone so well that we're buddy-buddy and we just want to hang out all the time. It's become bearing with someone. But it's done so with patience and humility and gentleness. When we have that attitude, we are able to help each other. And we are able to help each other walk in the way that we should. Paul reminds us that, this, that we are united together in one body. And this unity doesn't come from who we are as personalities or who we are and how much money we make or our nationality or anything like that. 
If, it, if our unity was based on any of those things, our unity would go out the window immediately. No, Paul reminds us, as he's already told us in chapters 2 and 3, that in verses 4 and 5 he says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Paul reminds us our unity comes from the fact that we are all called, saved, and sealed by the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where our unity comes from. So therefore, because our basis is firm and because we can have the right attitude, then we are ready to do the work that Paul wants us to do in making sure that all of us together are growing in our faith. So Paul continues in the next verses, and he says this. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Paul is saying this, that when Jesus Christ was exalted to heaven as conqueror over death and sin, he was like a victor who is ready to dole out gifts to the church, the body that was his. And that's what Paul has done. He has given, as he described here, some to be apostles. The apostles were the 12, but also the apostles were others in Paul's day who were sent. That's what the word means, to be sent and to go and to share the gospel. Some to be prophets who were those who explained the word of God. And in the New Testament, there were prophets who did foretold the future. Also, some to be evangelists. The word evangelist comes from the same word gospel. So that's what an evangelist does, tells the gospel. Some to be pastors to care for the flock, the church. Some to be teachers to teach the word of God and explain. Of course, this list isn't exhaustive. There's other gifts. There's other people who serve in the church. Paul's point is this. We are called to make sure that each other are growing in our faith, living the way we're supposed to. And the way that happens is God has gifted these people to the church to teach and to admonish so that all of us do the work that we're supposed to do. That's how it happens. It's interesting that often when we think of spiritual gifts, we are thinking about the gift that I have personally. And we even talk about learning what our spiritual gift is. But Paul's emphasis here isn't on the fact that God has given us a gift. His emphasis here is that God has given the church a gift. And the gift that he's given the church are gifted people. So I know that the difference is very subtle, but it's a reminder that the gift we are given as individuals is not for us. It is to serve and to love others with. And so our gifts are never to lift ourselves up, 
never to make ourselves feel good about who we are, certainly never to show off or receive applause for who we are. Those gifts are always given so that others walk in the way that is worthy of their calling. Those gifts are given so that we grow up. Those gifts are given so that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. There's no I in it whatsoever. This is the plan that God has for us walking in a worthy way. And I love how Paul finishes this part of his letter when he talks about what happens when those who are gifted teach and help others. He says in verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a statue measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Paul uses a different metaphor here, maybe. Here, instead of talking about us walking in a worthy way, he's telling us that we need to grow up. I found this uh, meme on the internet, and I don't know how you would feel if you received this on your birthday. It says, you were only young once, but you can be immature for a lifetime. Happy birthday. <laughs> this is almost a celebration of being immature forever. Now, I know some things about children I think maybe we get rid of too soon. Uh, children still have wonder when they look at the world. Children are very trusting. Uh, children aren't cynical. And so as we do get older, we often become very cynical. We've seen it all. Uh, nothing surprises us or gives us wonder. But that's not what I'm talking about. Those characteristics of childhood, maybe we can hold on to. But usually when we think of being childish and being mature, we think of a child who's impetuous and a child who throws temper tantrums and a child who's self-centered and only thinks about himself. That's a childish person. Unfortunately, some people never grow up. It's true in life in general that we see 30, 40, 50, 80 years old still acting like a three-year-old. It is true in our Christian walk, too. We see Christians who have been in church for 50 years, and they're acting like they did the first week they were saved. And so that's why Paul says we need to grow up. And he's shown us how that happens when we are walking in the way that we are called to be and we are united together using our gifts, all of us together work so that each and every one of us grows up and becomes mature. There's a good reason why we need to be mature. And Paul described it here because there's so many false teachers. There's so many things that are inaccurate and untrue in our culture, society, religious teaching. If we are not mature in our faith, 
we can be led astray. And you see examples of that all the time, unfortunately. People who grow up in a church, in a good church, in a good Christian home, later in life, they're deceived. They follow the world. They follow a false religion. Often it's because they never grew up in their faith. And as Paul talks about here, they're tossed back and forth like something floating on the waves in a storm. Don't you know in a storm, all the debris that's light just goes wherever the waves and the wind take it. But even in a hurricane, often the piers never move because they're pillared into the ground and deep into a foundation. And when we are mature in our faith and the storms of deceit and the storms of life come, we can be strong in our foundation if we are mature. But if we're not, we're tossed around. Now, this is probably the most important thing that Paul tells us about growing up. And that's the measure of growing up. Isn't it true, parents, that as your children grew, you were measuring to see how tall they were? And often that was done on the door frame so that you could see your child at two years old and five years old, 15 years old, growing, writing the date by it, measuring to see how tall they were growing. And so we often think of that measuring stick. And for parents, sometimes it was pride to see how tall your child was growing. Maybe when your child was taller than you were, are, you thought, well, maybe that's not so great now that my children are taller than me. But when we were measuring our children that way, it was always by a yardstick or a tape measure. It had inches and it had feet, and that's how we could measure what Paul is talking about is not measuring with inches and feet, but measuring ourselves against Jesus Christ. See, this is where we often stumble and fall when we think about growing up. We compare ourselves to other Christians. So we say this, well, I am more spiritual than that Christian. I know more about the Bible than this one does. I have been a Christian longer and am wiser than this young Christian in the Lord. And so we measure ourselves against other Christians. And if you do that, especially if you rationalize your sin or you puff yourself up and think better of yourself, you can probably think of yourself as a pretty good Christian. But that's not the measuring stick of other Christians. The measuring stick is Jesus Christ. And so we're always to measure our life against Him. When you do that, I don't think there's too many of us stacked pretty high to his stature. So when you look at your life and think, am I grown up? Am I a mature Christian? You can answer that question by simply asking, how much like Jesus do you live your life? The more we are like Christ, the more mature we are in our faith. And that is the measuring stick. We've kind of come full circle in this passage in Ephesians. Because Paul said at the beginning for us to walk worthy of who we are. And he said that we were to do so together and that we would bear with one another because we are one in Christ. And that we would do that by using our spiritual gifts until everyone lives like Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. After you've heard what Paul has said, and the Lord has spoken to you. I want you to look at your life and your walk with God. Does your life look like 
the Lord's. Where it doesn't, I, I want you right now to repent of that and confess. You know, our Lord Jesus is loving and forgiving. Are you loving and forgiving? Especially those who have hurt you. You know that our Lord is holy and perfect. Are you holy? Perfect. So look at your life and see how it stacks up against His. I also want you to think about how are you using your gifts to help others grow in their faith? Did you notice the goal wasn't for you as an individual to become like Christ? The goal was for all of us to become like Christ. So there may be some brothers and sisters that are struggling and you need to help them. There are others farther along that you need to listen to and follow their example. Are you so focused on your walk with God that you're ignoring your brothers and sisters? Pray that God would bring someone to mind right now that you can mentor, that you can follow, that you can help so they can grow in their faith. The final picture I want to leave with you is what Paul leaves us with, this healthy, strong body of Christ that is growing in maturity and growing into our head, Jesus Christ. It almost reminds me of an infant. Do you know that, you know this, as you see infants, they have big heads, don't they? And they kind of wobble around because their head is so big compared to the rest of their body. But as an infant grows, the body grows into the head almost. And that's what Paul says here. When we are walking worthy, and everyone is doing that, we are a healthy, strong, vibrant church. That is God's call for you today. I'm going to pray that we will do so. Father, I thank you that you have chosen us, saved us, and sealed us. I'm thankful that we are your children. And I'm thankful that you have given us a way that we can walk with you. And that's by giving us the gifts you have given and giving us a unity among each other and giving each of us a way and an opportunity to help each other grow up into the likeness of your Son. I'm thankful for all of that, Lord, and I pray now that we would examine our lives, examine how we were helping others, and that being, not just simply be committed to walking with you, but that our daily life would show it and reflect it. So I pray, Lord, for myself and my brothers and sisters that we would grow up and walk with you. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.